Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Principles Based Business Podcast, where we talk about all the fundamentals that can help you flourish. Today, I'm honored that Mr. Kasim Kasim Aslam, uh, and I was just practicing his name, is joining us. And uh, how you doing, man? Living the dream, G. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. So before we get started, why don't you uh, tell a little everybody a little bit about you? Yeah, uh, I'm the co-founder of Solutions 8, which is, I think, the best Google Ads agency on the planet. Uh, co-host of Perpetual Traffic, which I think is the best marketing podcast on the planet. Co-founder of Driven Mastermind, which I think is the best mastermind on the planet. So all that means is I can't start anything by myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man. So, I mean, those are all things that, like, right now give you probably a front seat to everything what's going on in business and the economy in some sorts. Would you, would you agree? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I've got $100 million in ad spend under management, 200 clients. So I get to see, I get to see the storm brewing before most people know that it's coming, which is a blessing and a curse, we'll say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's got to be a little scary when you can see what's coming, right? And nobody else does. Dude, yeah. Well, and that's the other piece too, is that, you know, I've, I've predicted 13 of the last two recessions. So I have a predilection for uh, catastrophizing. So I, I have to be really careful. Nice, nice. What, um, like, you know, let's, let's, let's break it down in, the, you know, all three things, right? So if we start with the ad agency and Google and, you know, what do you see that's hurting and helping entrepreneurs and business owners in that space? I know the one thing that that I notice when times start to get tightened, you know, most business owners, their their knee-jerk reaction is it's time to slow down on marketing, which from what I know and my experience, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it, is actually the time that you should be ramping up. Yeah, man, it's it's just an easy line item on the PL to point at and say, well, we don't need this right now. But the problem with that is is you you put yourself in this, you know, your this cycle because you're not going to experience the downturn right away, but you will experience it. And then once you start to experience it, the corrective action isn't, um, it doesn't happen as quickly as you need it to, to correct. So we've all seen it. And it, you know, it's a cliche at this point, right? Like it's a business book, MBA cliche. Uh, you spend into the decline, but that's a lot easier to say than it is to do. Because if it's between, running marketing and paying payroll you're gonna pay payroll um so it's a it's a it's a hard balance to strike and there's also you know the classic cliche is half of my marketing spent is wasted i just don't know which half so it's it's really tempting to guess at the half and then you know shut it off and we generally guess wrong because if we had the ability to guess right, then half of it wouldn't have been wasted in the first place. So that that's funny because it's, it's kind of like in real estate, right? Um, I'm a real estate broker, one of my businesses, and everybody wants to guess when the top of the market, when the bottom of the market. And by the time you realize that it's the top of the bottom, it it was you know it happened six months ago. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, you know, I do that with stocks. If you ever want to assure, this is guaranteed. G, by the way, this is 100 uh, percent proven with data if you want to make a billion dollars all you have to do is you name a stock any stock it doesn't matter uh you 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 short that stock 
and then you tell me what it is and I'll buy it. And as soon as God sees that I own that stock, it will instantly decrease in value. hundred <laughs> percent, dude. Like this has never not happened. I'm telling you. Uh, and then we'll just, we'll split the profits. Cause I, I try to do that same thing. I try to time the market, outsmart the market, be, you know, whatever. And then I just, I just lose my ass every single time. <laughs> That's funny. Funny and not funny. But like with, when going back to Google, like with, what do you see with all the, everybody, you know, the sky's falling because of tracking, um, because, you know, GA4 and all these other things. And like, what I see is that there's so many business owners who don't even know like the surface level stuff of what it actually takes to produce profitable campaigns on Google. But because there's always a wizard willing to sell you a $197 course to tell you how to beat Google, everybody's trying. Yeah. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, the sky is falling is the bad news. The good news is, is it, it falls on all of us alike. You know, nobody's exempt, um, but nobody's being singled out either. Uh, we've lost and continue to lose data at a rate that's impossibly hard to keep up with. Just, just a few days ago, June 8th, iOS 17 is uh, announced. Well, I don't know if it was announced, but um, the article that I read came out June 8th and they talked about how Apple is removing tracking parameters from all URLs within the iOS ecosystem. If you click on a link from Messenger, Mail, or Safari, if you're in private browsing mode, Apple's going to strip UTM parameters, GCLID, Facebook click ID, et cetera, which means marketers won't have the ability to track the way that we're used to tracking. And it's just another nail in the coffin. And so what that means is we have to change our paradigm. The, the answer isn't to go find other ways to track or supplemental ways to track because those are going to be taken away from you too on a long enough timeline. The answer is find a way to market in an ecosystem where you can't necessarily track the individual clicks. And so instead of focusing on, you know, target cost per acquisition or cost per lead or uh, return on ad spend, you start focusing on media efficiency ratio or cost to acquire a new customer or the lifetime value of a customer or retention rates of your customers. Um, we, need a, we need a mental shift in terms of how we look at our marketing and the strategies of our marketing. And there are so many marketers that just got really romantic about what they think marketing is. And they're going down with the ship, which is, it's a tragedy because all they need to do is just let go. You know, they're holding on to the sinking ship. And I'm like, dude, you're buoyant. If you let go, you'll float. Maybe it'll be uncomfortable and cold for a while, but at least you give yourself the opportunity to find some driftwood or an island, or maybe if all things work out, a better boat. But man, they are just petulant and stubborn and committed to what's already a failed model. Yeah, the, I, 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 it's it's interesting that you say that because it's like, you know, I I tell people like, you know, like when Facebook first took away on, you know, all the different interests because you could interest down to, you know, what color somebody's dog was or whatever, right? And they took it out. Everybody thought that the sky was falling and that nobody was going to be able to run ads. And like you said, they it, they're just had there has to be a paradigm shift of, you know, what are you really looking at? And and how many people do you see get caught up in vanity matrix? All of them. All huh. you know, the, the, for the longest time, that's what marketing agencies were selling is, oh, my goodness, look at how many impressions you have, um, <laughs> which is, you know, it's funny because we're actually swinging back in that direction. 
I, I think ROAS at this point is a vanity metric. I think CPA is a vanity metric. CPL is definitely a vanity metric. There are three data points that matter for any business. It's the cost to acquire a new customer, the lifetime value of that customer, and the media efficiency ratio. And the cost to acquire a customer and the lifetime value of that customer will actually tell you what your media efficiency ratio is depending on the timeline that you're looking at. Everything else is a vanity metric. Now, you need to use vanity metrics as, as predictive indications of success, especially now. Um, you know, click-through rate, for instance, or, or impression rate or view rate. Um, those are important data points to know that, okay, maybe my campaigns are on the right track. So using them as predictive indications of, of success, I think, is fine. But you can't eat impressions, right? You can't spend impressions. So that can't be the goal. That's not the end result. Um, and if it is, you're just running a very different campaign than I'm used to. You know, maybe you're Coca-Cola and you're just going after brand and awareness and you just want to be famous for the sake of being famous. Fine. I don't know how to do that. That's not my, that's not my world. My world is ROI. You know, you put in a dollar, you got $5 out. How many more times do you want to do that? Nice. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, definitely a changing way to look at it. What would you say is, you know, the runway that most business owners or entrepreneurs have to, you know, to either make this paradigm shift or really just get to the point of no return? We're like, bro, you're not going to be like, you can't even climb up from there. You can always come back, I think. You know, I mean, I've seen people chasing failed business models for years that as long as it's it's really up to your, it's a cash flow problem, right? You know, I had, I had a friend who owned an email marketing SaaS product that he had the same, I don't know how many there were. There's like 150 customers that were paying him whatever they're paying him a month and they were paying his bills. And that was the golden goose and everything else about his business was absolute dog shit. He was doing all this failed old school, you know, just horrible marketing, but he had the cash flow to sustain his horrible ideas for years. Uh, and then one day he woke up and realized, you know, man, I'm doing this the wrong way. And he, and he flipped the script. So you get to be stupid for as long as you're rich. And then, and then as soon as you run out of money, you better, you better get real smart real quick. That's funny. That that's a great quote right there, man. You get to be <laughs> stupid for as long as you're rich. Yeah. And there's a lot of that out there. Or as long as you can get somebody else to fund your stupidity, right? Uh, <laughs> well, there's a lot of that too. So like I saw your your um post, um, and that's kind of like you know what what I really want to chat with, you know, maybe like, man, I really gotta talk to this guy. Um you're offering, you know, and I'm sure you've already filled it up just from the comments that I had seen, but you're offering people to take them on this deep dive. And it's funny to see the comments that like, and, and I don't know you like, you know, super, super well, but I know enough of, about you that it's like, man, being in a room with you could change my entire business, right? Which then changed my entire life. But you get like, I won't say low budget questions or objections, like, people talk themselves out of an opportunity like right away without even knowing much about it. Like, do you run into that when you're doing your, like when you're with your, you know, your Google clients or your, or, you know, or the driven mastermind, like what do you do to make sure that you're not interacting with people who, who have that mindset where they're always going to find a problem for every solution? So that's why I price it the way I do. You know, what's funny, man, is actually I really need people right now. I, I'm trying to roll out a, an agency coaching pro product. In order to do that, I need to test a collection of, of 
thesis. What's the plural of thesis? Thesi? Whatever it is. Theses? Um, um, you're smarter than me. You'd have to pull that one. Yeah, I, I'll need to Google it. But I need to. I just need to test my assumptions. And so I actually really want to do these one days. And, it, you know, hopefully I don't sound like a prick when I say this, but I don't need money, dude. I'm rich. So me charging what I charge is a... It's a golden gate set up by intention. And, uh, you know, I, I normally charge 15 grand for a one day. And that there's a trick to that too, by the way. I, I had a mentor teach me this. He goes, charge an amount of money that nobody will pay. But if they pay, you're happy. Because otherwise you, your calendar is going to get full up and you're going to end up helping other people build their dreams. And as soon as they start paying it, increase. So I used to charge, you know, I charged 5K for one day. People started paying it. So I lifted it to 10. They stopped. And I'd get one or two every now and again. And then they started paying it. So I lifted it to 15. They've stopped. And I'll get one or two every now and again. As soon as you see me lift my price, it just means people started to pay it. Um, I dropped down to 10K for this one day intensive because I really want to learn. But I wouldn't mind taking somebody at five or the right agency. I'd do that for free just because I want to learn. The issue is the, the person who's not willing to invest 10 is the person you just described. So them willing to put 10 grand on the, the table and say, you know what, I, I know this is worth it. I'm going to do it. It tells me that you're actually going to take action. When we're done, you're going to do the damn thing. You're going to make sure that, you know, if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. So you're going to make sure you do the work that you follow through and that you believe in yourself and maybe as important that you believe in me enough to make that investment. Because, and again, this will sound arrogant. I've been doing this for 20 years. I've got two exits, four agencies, seven and eight figures. Like I know what the hell I'm doing in this particular pocket of life. And if you're not willing to spend 10K to put you know, a, a day together with me, then that means that you, you don't think I'm there yet. And that's great for me to know. you know. So um, it's just a good barrier to entry. Everybody should have that. You should have, and your barrier doesn't have to be 10K right out of the gate, depending on where you are in your business professionally and you know, what it is that you're looking for. But um, those little barriers are, I think that they're really solid litmus tests for who you should be working with. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, you know, like I said, I, I learned a lot, you know, I follow a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me and who, you know, I've seen that and I've learned that a while ago and put that into practice on a different scale and in my own businesses. Like it's a, you know, you, when you charge too little, you get, you got to do too much. And when yep. you, it's like when you charge just right, then everything turns out all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, well, and you end up working with, you know, I don't want to say better people because they're not better, but they're for, they're far enough along in their evolution. So, you you know, you're not trying to catch somebody up to where you currently are. Right. And, and I think it, it just, it speaks to the belief in themselves as well. Right. Like, like everybody tells, you know, everybody says like, you know, what, you know, are you going to invest in yourself? You know, I, I've had people ask me because I'm totally blind. So people ask me before, like, would you take a million dollars or your eyesight? And I'm like, I'm doing fine with my eyesight. Give me the million. I'm going to turn that into everything I need. To. You know? <laughs> turn and, that million into 10. Exactly. So it's just all about if you got that belief in yourself. Along those lines, like the Driven Mastermind, like I know you're doing it with, with Perry, right? Yep. Perry and, and Jason Fladlin. Yeah, I mean, two amazing guys. Um, and what what does that look like when it comes to, because everybody's got a mastermind now. And I know that you guys are like at a whole different level than the average person trying to just kick out a mastermind. But what does that look like in 
in your eyes as a true mastermind? Like what, what makes it a, a mastermind worth stroking any amount of check for that is actually going to be beneficial for you as a business owner? So that if somebody's out there considering like, how do I really level up? Right? Like, how do I really go to that next level? There's a, there's a collection of benefits to a mastermind that every mastermind is going to have you know, things like accountability and community. So I won't touch on those because they all have them and that's not a key differentiator. Uh, although I believe in those strongly. So, you know, if you're listening to this or watching this, no matter what, get yourself into a mastermind, even if it's not mine. Joe Polish has an amazing mastermind, the Genius Network. He's freaking brilliant. Uh, Giovanni Marcinko has an amazing mastermind, um, the Archangel, Arch, Archangel Network. He's freaking brilliant. My favorite mastermind of all time isn't even my mastermind. It's Front Row Dads, John Roman. Um, Justin Donald has a li passive lifestyle investor mastermind. Brandon Turner has the better life tribe, amazing mastermind. So go put yourself in a position where you're the dumbest, poorest person in the room. And if you're not the dumbest, poorest person in your room, then you're in the wrong damn room and you're not stretching yourself. What I love about driven is our mantra is protect the room, protect the stage. And if you've been in a mastermind before, you know that people often use the stage for networking, posturing, and doing deals. So the mastermind owner will throw somebody on stage because they're, you know, they're trying to whatever, broker a deal, do an M&A, um, whatever it is. They, they, they use it as a negotiating token. And I've seen that at the highest levels, and it's infuriating. If you come to Driven, the people on stage belong on stage. And they might not be people you've heard of, by the way. It's not a, you know, an ego fest. Let me show you all the celebrities I'm friends with. Perry knows everybody. He can get anybody on stage that we want. It's who actually does this that can teach us, teach it to us with authority. You know, and, and the, the Scottsdale event, we had Pace Morby on stage, probably the smartest real estate guy on the planet right now. Uh, we had Natasha Willis on stage, taught us all about uh, AI bots inside of Instagram. Uh, we had Morgan just McDonald's on stage, who I think is the most prolific voice in the, in the space of self-publishing, which, you know, if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner and you don't have a book out now, it's almost irresponsible at this point. It's the most important calling card you can have. It's the best business card you can possibly have. And it's never been easier. And so we get Morgan on stage to teach us, you know, here, here's how you press the easy button. Um, that's protect the stage. And then there's protect the room. And if you are in driven, it means you are driven. Uh, we don't let people in if we don't think that they're going to align with us. And, you know, Perry's turned down almost as many people as we've accepted at this point. We're capping the room to 100 people, which is something we're really passionate about. We're not trying to build the biggest marketing mastermind in the world, you know, or business mastermind in the world. We don't want that. We want a room of 100 assassins who are really going to push the envelope and, and, you know, push us out ahead and, um, we're here to learn too, you know, as, as mastermind owners and the people that are in the room, they're the ones that make up the mastermind. And it's a, it's a game of averages. One dummy drags your average down immensely. And one killer brings your average up by, you know, whatever, whatever rate they happen to exceed our proficiency and along whatever level of analysis we're discussing. And we see that over and over and over again. One of our members is Sunit Agarwal, who's the number one selling realtor team in the state of California. California is the fifth largest economy in the world. And this guy's cracked the code on real estate sales in a way that I've never seen. Now, what's funny is I'm not in real estate. I'm not in sales. I've learned more from Sunit 
as it relates to my business than I would any agency over I've ever talked to. Because we're all singing the same tunes, watching the same shows, reading the same books. We've got um, Calvin, who uh, he's the number one trainer for insurance adjusters. Brand new, has this amazing, amazing business. And I've learned more. Calvin Newman, he's got MoCap Mentor. Um, there's another guy, Moses, who does, he does like 50 million a year in Minnesota fixing roofs. He works in five zip codes. Dude does 50 million a year. And none of these businesses have anything to do with each other. And that's the beauty of it. Because you take the smartest, most aggressive person in these little micro industries and you learn what they're doing and you're like, oh, holy shit, nobody's doing that in my industry. Because otherwise, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a mastermind and it's all agency owners or it's all real estate people, uh, you, you know, good luck to you, right? Like you're just going to get the same blueprint. It's the same damn thing. I know I've been in those masterminds. Go put yourself in a position where you're going to be exposed to information and people and ideas and thoughts and approaches that you'll never be exposed to otherwise. And that's, that's what's cool about driven man is the common denominator is the driven. I hope that wasn't too salesy an answer. No, that was perfect answer. Cause it, it goes back to why I put together this podcast, which is talking about fun that, all businesses have certain fundamentals and obviously regardless what your niche is like in driven, you have all these different businesses and successful people you're learning their fundamentals and you're putting them into your business. So it doesn't just because they're doing something doesn't mean you can't put it in, in your business and it's not going to work. It's actually the opposite. And, you know, I agree with you, you know, especially in real estate, it's, it's so easy that everybody says, Oh, well they don't do real estate. Well, it's like, exactly. Like I spend most of my time and always have in, you know, rooms with people that have nothing to do with real estate because I want to learn business. It's a business. And that's what I'm there to learn is how to run a business, not not how to sell homes. That's, you know, I'm not going to say it's the easy part, but it is the easy part of the of the whole practice. So, no, I appreciate you taking it back to that because it, it all goes back to fundamentals. And the, the, the four fundamentals that I always tell people is, that, you know, if you pay attention to these four things, you can grow and scale your business and adjust and get out of trouble as long as, you know, there's obviously details that go to it, but the, the grand overarching fundamentals are positioning, presence, proximity, and possibility. How do those four apply to you? Like when you're looking to buy a business or run your businesses, like do those come into play for you? Do those resonate? Yeah. Give them to me again. There's positioning, posturing. Positioning, presence, positioning, proximity, presence. and possibility. So the way I explain it is, Positioning is people have to believe that you are the person that can help them through their situation or your product is. Presence, you've got to be where the people you want to do business is. And proximity is the one that I think that most people um, overlook or don't understand deep enough is that, you know, you can't give the same marketing message or customer journey to somebody who's ready to buy today versus somebody who doesn't even know they should buy, you know, a week down the road. And the final one possibility is, Everybody wants to know what's the possible, like what, what are they going to get out of this or how, what is possible? Yeah, I really love that. I think you've done, I love frameworks in general. You know, it's, it's just such, it's a nice way to put everybody on the same page and give us a solid understanding of what we're discussing. Um, the positioning piece is, is one that I'm really good at, I think. Um, the presence piece is one I'm trying to get good at. The thing I think I struggle with the most, to be honest with you, is the possibility. And it's a paradox of opportunity for me 
because I see possibility in everything. I get really excited. You could do you could you could juice me up on just about any idea. That's why I love the mastermind so much. Because I, I hear all I'm like, oh, I gotta do that. You know, I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna start that. Um and because of that, I end up with shiny object syndrome and it takes me some time before I'm willing to commit and niche down. So, you know, of all the P's that you've presented, the possibility one I think is the most dangerous because there's man there's so much opportunity out there there's so much possibility out there and i'm having a real hard time right now and you know at this stage of my career uh i'm liquid i'm free from a time perspective i'm interested i'm still young enough to where i want to you know go off and see what the world has to offer and i'm overwhelmed at the possibilities so maybe you can coach me there g like how do you narrow it down how do you figure out okay this is where i'm this is where I'm going to plant my flag and live for a little while. So for me, you know, because like you, I'm the same way. Like I, you know, somebody brings you a problem. I always find 18 different possibilities for it. But the one thing that I, when it comes to reigning in possibility, right, is you look first. For me, I look at like, okay, all these things are possible. The world is my oyster, as they say or whatever, and I can do all these things. But which one are the ones that's which ones are the ones that I'm going to do that's going to allow me to do even more things? So it's not so much about not having shiny objects in there, but it's more of like how can I have more shiny objects in? Like what can I focus on that's going to allow me to even take advantage of all these possibilities? So like if I got ten possibilities in front of me and nine of them are going to take my time and you know make it so that I have to be narrow focused and I have one that would allow me to go after those nine and find 10 more, then that's the one I'm going to focus on first. I really love that. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, I learned this from Ryan Dice. Ryan uses something called ICE, I-C-E. It's an ICE analysis, and he scores all of his ideas. I is impact, C is confidence, E is ease. And so what's the impact of this idea? How confident am I that I'm going to be able to get it done? And how easy will it be to get done? And then you add those numbers up or an average them across. And if you've got a grid of ideas, you do the ice analysis for all of them. And then you end up with something like you just described, which is like, okay, this is the one that has, you know, the most impact for the least amount of output. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's a great way of doing it. Now, regarding, you, you know, your, your, the traffic, um, podcast. I, I'm sure you get to talk to a lot of people and you hear all kinds of techniques, hacks, or trends. And What would you say is the, the, the biggest thing that you learn by getting to interview all these people who are out there and doing it? Like, what are some of the takeaways that, that like, you're sitting there going, wow, like, that, that was awesome? That's a good question. Uh, one of the things that I keep relearning is that there's, it's all the same thing. There's nothing new. We're constantly returning to fundamentals. We're constantly returning to, you know, you have to have a strong offer. You have to be consistent. Uh, content is king. Like all the cliches just keep reemerging and reemerging, even if you think they're going away. Content is king is a good example for, you know, there was five years there where we were all so spoiled with targeting that you actually didn't have to have a, a mass amount of content. You could pay your way around it. And you know, a couple of algorithm changes and all of a sudden the pendulum swings back and we're back to where content is king again. So sticking to the fundamentals, getting really, really good at the fundamentals, I think is one thing that I learned on a recurring basis. Um, the other lesson that I've learned 
that's not quite as obvious. Every wildly successful person that I've been able to interview, and I've been able to interview a lot of them, has found a comfort level with failure that exceeds the norm. Now, that doesn't mean they're comfortable with failure. It doesn't mean that they like it. It means that they're more comfortable with failure than you and not you, Guillermo, you, the oh, proverbial you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can go out and they can take a couple more licks than the rest of us can take. And it's what helps them get to the outstanding successes because they're just, they just get back on the horse one more time than everybody else. Um, you know, and that sounds kind of dismissive of the question or cliche, but it really no, is, man. Life is a Rocky movie, you know, and, and you got to play eye of the tiger and you got to get back up one more time. And if you can do that, so many of the successes I've met, dude, they're not, they're not any smarter than anybody else. Uh, and they'll be the first ones to admit that. The, and and you, you can't even really chalk it up to hard work because hard work isn't the same thing as getting back on the horse. You can work really, really, really hard, but you're still avoiding failure, not necessarily pursuing what you should be pursuing, not necessarily staying the course, you know, changing up your tactics. Um, it's it's the hard work, of course, but it's just that staying true to what it is you set out to accomplish and staying focused on it until you accomplish it. Nice. Yeah, no, I, you know, two two people that I that I you know one I got to hear him say this in person and the other one you know I was listening to YouTube while I was on the treadmill the other day was David Goggins you know he says um you know you've got to you've got to do something that sucks every day yeah like you you've got to be okay with doing something that sucks you know what I mean which is like you said the the people that are successful are okay with failing not because they're acceptance of failure but they're okay with that that sting that that it brings I do a cold plunge every morning. It's 39 degree water. I'm in there for two minutes. Bro, and, I don't even know. How, I used to, in my younger life, I used to love cold water. I, I don't even know how you do it now. Oh, bro. I, yeah. I don't know how I do it either. I hate, I hate the cold. I'm a desert rat. But here's what's interesting is I'm usually done by 6.30 or 7 a.m. It's the worst thing that happens to me all day. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it feels pretty good to have that out the way. You know what I mean? Like it, by, by the time I get to the office, I'm like, there is nothing you can do to me that is as uncomfortable as what I just put myself through. So, you know, come at me world because, uh, I, I got, I got my bar, my threshold for pain pretty damn high. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, a good way to start because nobody's going to be able, like you said, nobody's going to be able to match that. Yeah. Um, I did get to see, um, Alex Hermosi on stage. Um, at, at an event in Houston, and uh, Ryan Dice was hit one of his in Roland's event or whatever, and he said, you know, I could go into the audience and tell you, like, are you willing to not make any money for five years and do all the work if I guarantee you'd be a millionaire afterwards? There's not going to be any of you that really take take me up on it. He's like, you're not you're not willing to do the you know eat shit long enough. Yeah. Uh, that's so true. I love that guy, man. I think he's a modern day sage and philosopher. I'm a big fan. Yeah, he he had like I honestly before that event I had I've heard of him, but I never really heard him speak. And it was it was amazing to get to be in the room and you know hear him for about good 45 minutes an hour. You know? Yeah, he's wicked smart. Yeah. Um, when it comes to when it comes to AI, how does that play in a factor to all this for you? Dude, I've never been more optimistic about humanity than I have after learning what I've learned about AI. I'm a huge fan of Sam Altman. I think he's the exact right guy we want in that seat. 
I think he's conscientious enough, daring enough, communicative enough, honest enough. I I just I've got a lot of hero worship, as I'm sure you can hear. And I hope this ages well. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he could be the guy that <laughs> we might have to go back and take it off someday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he could be the guy hitting the button on the plague too, but but all that to say, I think AI solves, and this is this is such an ignorant statement that I'm going to stand behind with the petulance of, an, of a moody child. I think AI solves every fundamental human issue outside of our own psychology. So it's not going to solve depression, let's say. Uh, it might not solve, you know, um, uh, divorce rates or childhood obesity, uh, but actually even, you know, even those two, who knows, but you want to talk about climate change, um, supply chain issues, energy consumption, utilization, uh, fiscal withdrawal, uh, uh, extreme poverty, starvation. Like there is, there's not a overfishing in the oceans. We're on the precipice of being able to fix everything that we've been catastrophizing about for the last hundred years. And it's not even like a tomorrow thing. That's what's crazy. Like AI beats a radiologist a thousand times out of a thousand. I mean, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to see the improvements that are going to be made available and accessible. You know, something like 50,000 people a year die in auto accidents. AI solves that would bring that to effectively zero, adjusted for margin of error or whatever, you know, errors or issues that we encounter. So I think that AI should be viewed very optimistically. That said, uh, there's going to be some collateral damage. And I think if you're on the wrong side of the fulcrum, I wrote a Twitter thread about this that's worth reading if you don't mind me saying that. Um, AI's AI's leverage, right? And all like all all leverageable utilities, there's a fulcrum, and on let's say the left side, the input side, uh, it, that's all the people that will benefit from AI. And on the right side, the output side, those are all the people that will be commoditized by AI. And if you're on the right side, I you gotta move left quick, go find a way to put yourself on the side that benefits from AI. And sometimes it's as easy as adjusting your framework. The example I use in my Twitter thread is: Let's say that you're you're um, a freelance agency. You help people with uh, virtual assistants. Okay, like you're, let, let's say you're like uh, Design Pickle, um, which was founded out here by a guy named Russ, who I really like. Uh, Design Pickle could offer you a graphic designer, a full-time graphic designer for you know, let's say two grand a month. Um, so now you have this person who will do uh, uh, you know all the graphic design that a full-time person could do for forty hours a week for two grand a month. That's model A. The problem with model A is as soon as AI really hits critical mass, that graphic designer moves from being able to say, you know, let's say that they can do one unit per hour. So every day they can produce eight units. Well, with AI, they can produce 800 units. So now I'm paying Design Pickle $2,000 a month for a graphic designer that yesterday could produce eight units a day and now can produce 800 units a day. Design pickle is on the wrong side of the fulcrum. They're on the output side of the fulcrum. They get commoditized because I don't need a full-time graphic designer anymore. Neither does anybody else. Let's switch to model B. Design pickle says, I'll charge you $2,000 a month 
for eight units a day. So now, as graphic design becomes more efficient with the use of AI, Design Pickle's resources become more efficient, and one graphic designer, instead of working for one client, can work for 800 because eight went to 800. And Design Pickle put themselves on the, the, the left side of the fulcrum, the input side of the fulcrum. Um, if you're on the output side of the fulcrum, am I, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Yeah. You're, yeah. you're fucked. It's over. And and this whole, everybody, there's this weird mantra that people can, they're like, oh, you know, change happens all the time. All it's going to do is create new industries. And everybody's favorite example is, you know, the, the assembly line didn't uh, kill the jobs. It just replaced them with different jobs. Uh, you know, and the, the automobile, um, what was it? The, the horse and buggy was replaced by the automobile, but we didn't lose the jobs. We just created new jobs. The, the, what they don't understand is in this context, the analogy, they're, they're misapplying it because from horses to automobiles, we're the horse. AI is going to do, and guess what? There used to be, you know, 100 million horses in the United States and now there's 60,000 or whatever. Like AI is going to do what the humans do. And here's what's really interesting. And actually, I think kind of poetically just. It's coming for the white collar jobs first. So, uh, you know, you say I'm not a socialist. I'm a rabid libertarian that hates other libertarians. But I will say that whenever anything bad happens to blue collar folks, Americans have a hard time caring. You know, it's, oh, you should work harder. You should do more. Uh, this is going to be real fun because it's coming for the attorneys. It's coming for the doctors. It's coming for the business uh, uh, consultants. Um, it's and, and, you know, the, the people, let's say it's kind of a, upper middle class or even middle class, like the graphic designers, the content creators, uh, it's coming for software engineers and developers. And they're going to find themselves in a position where the the eight units, proverbially speaking, that they used to charge in exchange for their full-time salary has scaled to 800. And how are they going to convince the people that have been paying them to continue to pay them their rates? And the answer is they're not. They can't. They won't. It's impossible. And we're going to see the largest loss of viable employment in the history of humanity. And again, to the point that I was making earlier, I, I think that part of that is actually going to be interestingly in our favor on a long enough timeline. Uh, you know, OpenAI, the company that owns ChatGPT, did the largest study on universal basic income ever done which should be really telling, right? Like the company that created the, 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 the most utilized AI spent more money than anybody's ever spent trying to figure out how to use universal basic income because they know, they know exactly what's going to happen here. Um, so can you protect yourself from AI? Absolutely. Is AI going to take everybody's job? No. Is it going to take most of the jobs overnight? No. This is, you know, we could be talking a 20-year period. This could be over the course of a generation, but it's going to happen. And the people that are saying like, oh, no, AI is just going to create other jobs. You are not paying attention. You are not understanding what it is that we're talking about. This isn't just another more efficient mechanism. This is a mechanism that thinks creatively. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's a modern miracle. But it also has some implications that we're going to have to contend with.
So I hope that didn't get real depressing, man. You can go cut out whatever that you want to cut No, out. I'm going to leave all that in because that's what people need to hear. And I love when people don't stick to the script and give the, the simple vanilla answer. I mean, and I agree with all of it. I mean, for me, you know, AI, you know, one of the things I do is copywriting. And, you know, in the copywriting space, it's like, oh, my God, we're no, no going to be copywriters anymore. It's like, you know what? It's how are you using it to generate more copy? Like you said, you know, instead of eight sales pages you write in a day, you can write 800 if you know how to use it right. Right. You know, um, but no, I appreciate it. And then on the practical use for me, it's like being blind. The more technology there is, the more things I can automate, the more I I can do things on my own without having to have staff and teams and things like that. Well, that's what's so as an entrepreneur, I look at it as nothing but opportunity. Cause I'm like, you mean I get to do everything? You know, I just sold my my business in October. I had 80 employees by the time we sold. Uh, and I, I love everybody that worked with me, with with you know two exceptions maybe. But I love, I truly, really <laughs> cared for them deeply. I love my staff. I'm uh, really grateful for the chance to work with all those people. 80 people's hard, and that's hard. And if I could do everything I did with five, you know. Hell yeah, let's do that. That's easier. Um, and that's what AI is gonna do. It's gonna it's gonna make the disruptors. I hate that freaking term. It's gonna make the the entrepreneurs, we'll just sterilize that. It's gonna make the entrepreneurs more potent, more effective. You're gonna get to move faster, deploy faster, prove concepts faster. Uh it's the people that are on the assembly line that I'm worried about. It's crazy. Yeah, no, I agree. So one more topic and then, you know, we can wrap it up. But the when being that you're, you know, I won't, uh, I don't know if I'm categorizing, you're not, you know, part of you as an investor, venture capitalist, or, you know, you, you're in that space where you're buying. I want to be. <laughs> yeah, want to be. Um, what do you, what do you look for? Because everybody, you know, that's one of the things that, that always also like amazes me. Like people don't realize like you, you, when I go in and I do consultants, like, you don't have a business, you just have a job, right? right. Like, what, it, what is it that you look for? Like, what are the first things when you're looking at a, at a business that you look for? I like, Naval Ravikant said this, so I'm just going to steal it from him. If you haven't read his book, by the way, it's really, really worth diving into. Um, what book is that? What's, what's, what's it's, I think it's called The the, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant, or just, just go to Amazon and look for Naval Ravikant. He's, uh, he's the guy that started AngelList. Okay, yeah. Um, Naval said, and I took this from him, He's like, I don't invest in any business I'm not interested in. I need to be interested in, deeply interested in the subject matter. Because, you know, I'm, I'm in Justin Donald's investment group. It's the, he's, he's got the Passive Lifestyle Investment Mastermind. I think it's probably the, the strongest investment group I've ever been in. And we see dozens of deals a day sometimes. He'll just bring people in and you just sit there and then just one after the other. Uh, dozens might be uh, an over-exaggeration, but like a lot, you know. And all the deals look good and they probably are good on some level. But if I'm not interested in the subject matter, the problem is, is it makes everything else harder. It makes due diligence harder. It makes understanding the opportunity harder, working with it harder, making adjustments harder, knowing when to pull out harder. Um, Cause now it's just this uphill battle. It's like, Oh God, I got to go learn about biotech or FinTech or some shit that I just don't care about. So one, I have to have a deep interest in the opportunity. Two, I have to really like the people. I'm going to spend that much time with you. You know, I have to answer the phone when you call. Um, <laughs> I better, 
I better really like you. And then three, and, and maybe closest to what it is that you're asking is I don't I don't want to play any small games anymore. Uh, I actually posted a Twitter thread on this too. I want to make a hundred million dollars. My next at bat, I had my eight figure exit. You know, I've got my don't have to work again money. And so money is how we keep score, and you can call it arrogant or greedy or whatever you want to call it. But my next exit's going to be nine figures. And it doesn't have to be an exit, right? It could be an investment, an equity deal, or whatever. But I want a hundred million bucks, net to me. And then when I've made my hundred million dollars, if I'm if I'm young enough and if I've still got it in me, maybe I'll go for a billion dollars. And you just keep playing that game because that's the game that we've all decided to play as capitalists. Um, and it's it's weird because I've seen this over and over and over again. And I wish I learned this lesson early on. Dude, it, it was it was as difficult for me to to build a seven-figure net agency when I sold my agency, it was at two million dollars EBITDA, as it would have been to build an eight-figure net agency. Swear to God. Uh, I, I've got a friend who does real estate syndication and he's like, dude, it's as easy to do one single family home as it is to do one apartment building. It's the same process, due diligence, check boxes, questions, pain in the ass. The numbers are bigger, but the difficulty is, is they're, they're, they're equal. As a matter of fact, the single family homes can be harder because the sellers are less sophisticated. So I just want to play bigger games with bigger stakes on a larger scale and so many founders don't think big enough you know they're thinking just too small and so I, I look for those three things am i interested in the topic do i like the people and is this a big enough game i love that i love that i know when you spoke at, at perry's uh, event in april you said something about i think somebody asked you about can't remember if it was triggered by a question you asked or is just part of what you were saying but how people how you look at investing in companies differently than other people, right? Like other people, some people are looking like, oh, what's, what am I going to get right away? And you're looking at like, even like you're looking for the exit or you're looking for the, I can't remember how you put it, but it was like, it was one of those moments that I heard. I was like, man, that's a, that's a, that's definitely like a different wealth mindset of, I think, cause you invest for uh, growth or cap or was it a uh, market cap or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Do you like is that is is there a different way how you look at investing in companies? Yeah, part of that was just just an income tax issue. You know, I just had an exit. I don't want any more damn money because I'm gonna have to pay taxes and all of it. So I like I like kicking the can down the road from a return perspective. Uh, and you know, I took this from Brandon Turner. Brandon, do you know who Brandon is? No, bigger pockets guy. If you go to Amazon right now and you look at the top ten best selling books on real estate, Brandon wrote seven of them. He's as close to a genius as we can get in the modern age. Like really, really a brilliant guy. I, I've had the opportunity to make friends with him recently. And Brandon, he goes, I'm gonna, I know for a fact I'm gonna be a billionaire on a long enough timeline. There's no way I won't be based off of just data, just metrics. Cause he does these big real estate deals. You put this massive piece of real estate under contract, uh, you raise the money to buy it you put a tenant or tenants into it that cover the debt service you cash out the investors within a certain amount of time and because honestly because of the way our fiscal system works and the fact that it's not necessarily that property is always going to appreciate as much as the dollar is always going to depreciate uh you, when you cash out your investors and then you just sit there and let somebody else pay off your loan whatever that loan term is is the clicking talk clicking clock as to when i'm going to own that property so if i got a 300 million dollar 
apartment building under contract. Well, in 30 years, I own 100% of that $300 million apartment building, or me and the investors. And it was such an amazing way to think about life. Like, I don't need to, and, and you know, I think anybody who really wants to consider investing, I think day traders and people that are trying to live off their investments, I think that that's such a flawed model and it's just so scary and dangerous. Uh, you, you have to, investing is the long game. You know, if you're trying to invest for the short game and short-term yields, I don't know how you do that with, with a success rate that doesn't mean you can't, you, it doesn't mean catastrophic failure on a long enough timeline because you just can't manage for downside risk on short timescales. But you can almost eliminate downside risk given enough time. You know, time heals all wounds. And sometimes you won't necessarily have that time personally. Uh, but that almost doesn't matter, you know, especially especially with, with investing. So I don't know if that answered your question, but that's more or less where I, I said. No, that did, that did answer my question. Man, you definitely uh, blew my mind during this last hour or so, and I appreciate you going so deep, you know, on, on the answers. What would you, what would be your parting words or anything, you know, tell people how they can get a hold of you and, you know, tell them more about your one-day experience that you're trying to fill, you know, for data, um, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can go to my link tree. It's Kasim, K-A-S-I-M dot me. Um, check out the podcast. You can have my book for free. We were number one in marketing and advertising worldwide on Amazon. Um, check out my YouTube channel. I shoot a YouTube video every day. I write a Twitter thread every day. I do an Instagram reel every day. So if you want to hear more from me, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Um, and I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm flattered. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time, man. So thanks a lot. Yeah, hundred percent. Rooting for you in the podcast. As soon as this is done, fire off the assets. I'll make sure to post it. I definitely will.